This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. The Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President. Jonathan Kraft, Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. On this week's show, we have four time Olympian and CEO and co founder of Sports Innovation Lab, Angela Ruggiero. But first, let's get into our topics of the week and let's start. Uh, Johnny Manziel. I'm just going to sing the whole time you guys can discuss. (laughs) Well, it's been real with the CFL. Au revoir. (laughs) What happened? We don't know. He, as everybody knows, there was certain conditions that Johnny Manziel had to follow uh, when he signed with the CFL, and the league told the Alouettes that he has violated one of those conditions oh. and that he can no longer play. I mean, it's as simple as that. They said you can't play anymore. This I'm I'm expecting to see Johnny Manziel in either the XFL or the or the. But AAF didn't the XFL say like shortly. they're going to have? Well, very. It was a very very strict code of conduct. Like if I don't remember if it was just domestic abuse, but if you had any DWI, if you had anything, they wouldn't. You couldn't play there. Or no? Am I making that? I uh, that doesn't ring a bell to me. It, it seems like a, a very hard standard to have if you're going to have yeah. a professional football league. Um, but I mean, as we've talked about with the with these startup leagues, right? You need buzz. You, you need to have a reason for people who love football, but you know, have no you know allegiance to any of these teams. Turn on the TV on a Is Saturday st- or a Sunday. Um, let me ask you that. That said, I yes. mean, the fact that he was just playing. If you if you find out Johnny Manziel is playing. You still care? I do. I think you do. Yeah. Really? I, in the same way that I think if if Oof. Tim Tebow were to sign in the AAF, now, I, hey, think that I would, would care because I haven't seen him play football in such a long time. I, who's watching the Hamilton Tiger Cats or the Montreal Alouettes? A lot of people have fans seen, of those teams. Yeah, a lot of people haven't seen Johnny Manziel play football in a while. He's only twenty six, you know, which is amazingly young 26. considering his twenty six uh, his, his journeyman career so far. Uh, yes, I think Johnny Manziel moves the needle here yeah. in America in a football uniform. Yeah. Whoa, Nelly! I got just. Uh, Whoa, that's my salute to Keith Jackson, man. One of the best sportscasters ever. Godspeed, man. Uh, I want to talk about Puma. Godspeed, but nothing happened with Keith Jackson. I mean, that's going to seem odd. What happened? With well, Keith? no, we, we were just talking no, about. No, we were just talking about. Okay. He, he passed okay. some time ago. Yes, exactly. You know, that's why I just want to make sure nobody's like, wait, what did I miss with Keith Jackson? Well, we were we were talking about Keith Jackson. I should add this right quick because we were talking about some of the best sportscasters ever. In the game, I was just wondering if Eben had ever heard a game called by Keith Jackson don't because he's I like have. nine years old, and the answer was no. <laughs> and he also called the 1975 right. Daytona. Yes, yes, get to get, get uh, to Puma. Puma, 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 the official uniform supplier to the reigning English Premier League champions, Manchester City, replacing Nike. Yep, big Puma. deal. Puma. Big, big deal. Ooh. Give me some numbers. That Evan. is big. Man. Yeah, so it's a ten-year deal worth six hundred and fifty million pounds uh, for our listeners in America. That's about eight hundred and sixty million dollars. You know, so that's do the math there. Eighty-five million dollars. <laughs> I can do that one easy, yeah. Eighty-five million dollars a year uh, seems to be from reports over three times what Nike was paying. 
uh, for a club that is, you know, defending English Premier League champions, as you said, Michael, uh, one of the top two teams in the league again this year. More importantly, global brand. Global brand uh, owned by uh, the... Oh, yeah, man, the uh, the billionaire, one of the billionaire Sheikh sheiks of, uh, Sheikh of, of Mansour, UAE, yeah. Abu Dhabi. Yeah, Sheikh Mansour. Sheikh Mansour. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, a lot of money. You know, they're they're playing very well. Seems like a good deal for Puma, which you know w- was most recently on the on the uh, Arsenal uniform. Well, they're getting and, in on basketball again. DeAndre Ayton. Now they're back in soccer. And they're throwing That's around a, a lot push. of money. Yeah, big push. Throwing around a lot of money. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, Jersey oh, sponsors. Nelly, yeah, let's oh, talk about a 13-year-old girl. She is great. Uh, <laughs> Olivia Moultrie, yeah. Yes. She has uh, signed a deal with Nike because uh, <laughs> she's, she's already playing. She's very good in soccer. Foregoing her chance to play for the UNC women's yeah, soccer hey. team so, at nine years old. <laughs> forget, forget the ham, following me a ham, she took the cabbage. No? She did, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Come on, man. A good, a good kind of. <laughs> I tried. A, a perfect representation of you know the the way that companies like Nike and Adidas like to scout talent. Shout out to my man uh, Estevão Willian down in Brazil, ten year old who signed with Nike last year, eleven year old now, tearing it up at, at the Cruzeiro uh, Junior team. Remember the name Estevão <laughs> Willian. I'll remember it uh, yeah. when I ask you. He's um, the next Neymar. But yeah, I think this fits in if you remember. The advertising now from Nike, Dream Crazier, the women, this is sort of a continuation. Nike's making a a push marketing to women. And obviously they feel an underserved market, Um, control of purse strings in home. This is another way they can continue that push. Speaking of a girl who used to play against the boys and just kicked whoop tushy. That's, That's a phrase. Uh, we're going oh, on. Nelly. Thank you. We're going to turn direction just a little bit now because uh, I'm excited for uh, this week's guest. This person has quite the resume. I mean, she's a four-time Olympian in the sport of ice hockey, a hockey Hall of Famer, and the CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab, which is a technology-driven services company focusing on the convergence of sports and technology. And there's so much more there, Michael. A former senior management associate at Bridgewater. She worked with the World Anti-Doping Agency, the LA Olympics. She's a former Harvard IOC MBA. Nobody said board Harvard member. MBA. Harvard MBA, part of the IOC's Ethics Committee. Tech committee. Angela, first question, uh, why are you so lazy? What's going on here? <laughs> oh, man. I get bored <laughs> easily. It's the first question I asked Paul. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. seriously, you're, you're, doing, you're doing some really interesting stuff in, in the sports tech world. Uh, you're also very involved uh, in the Olympics. Uh, which of those two things is, is more interesting for you? Which one are you enjoying more right now? Well, the Olympics has always been part of, I'd say, my blood. I wanted to play in the Olympics as a you know, young girl and got to four times, which was amazing, and you know, went on to be on the, uh, the IOC as a member there for, for uh, about eight years. And honestly, the tech piece, I, I, like, I love both, but the tech is just changing every single day, and that's what I do at Sports Innovation Lab. So um, they're both equally exciting, but in very different ways. We talk about <laughs> less the, politics on the tech side. I, I'd imagine. Uh, we talk about the, the data and the tech piece here a lot, just because as you said, there's, there seems to be so much going on right now in that world. I mean, you were a, a player for a long time. How different technology wise is it for a, you know, a woman on the U S national team now versus what it was like, you know, when you were playing? Yeah, I think every athlete is leveraging tech in some way, shape, or form now. And, um, you know, at the elite level, certainly 
you're monitoring your heart rate, you're trying to predict your sweat production, you're trying to stay, you know, build the best version of yourself so you can reach that, you know, human potential. And that's really what sports is all about is finding that threshold. So tech is, is giving you more data, more insights to actually push yourself further, recover better. Um, but equally on the, on the business of sports, tech is completely reshaping, um, you know, how we as fans consume content and want to engage with sports themselves. So it's, it's obviously affecting the athletes and, and I was sort of on that early wave of like tech adoption, but Hmm. didn't get to use nearly what's on the market. Sure. I, I have to ask because I sweat just playing checkers. So I got to ask what give me. So believable. It's true. <laughs> King, you know, it's, what? why measure the, the sweat output? Well, if you're thinking about hydrating um, and again, back to you're looking for inches as an elite athlete, you know, the whole 10,000 hours. And as you get into your, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world, I played for Olympics. I was always trying to figure out how do I become better each and every day? And so the little feedback you might get from, hey, I've um, perspirated two pounds in this practice. I need to make sure I replenish myself two pounds. And if I don't have an accurate understanding of like, actually, I'm dehydrated and you wait till, you know, the old way of doing it, you look in the toilet and you're like, oh, wow, that's really yellow. I I should drink more. There's our headline for this show. (laughs) (laughs) Look in the toilet. (laughs) Or, or you stand on the scale and get off the scale and before and after practice and you go, all right, I've lost more or less, you know, a couple pounds of water. So the idea of like you can wear a patch to understand hydration, you can put a sensor on you to understand, you know, not just step count, but movement. Um, the idea that you can, uh, you know, monitor your sleep and understand exactly how much sleep you need based on like how much output you had that day on the ice in the gym. Um, you know, all these different factors, elite athletes, and, and it's trickling down to um, health and human performance. This, this, this technology is being tested on elite athletes. They're sort of the first ones to put their hand out and say, if that's going to make me a little bit better, like give it to me. Um, but these technologies understand the bigger market opportunity really is, is for, for everyone else. We're chatting with Angela Ruggiero, and it all comes back to money. These owners, Mark Cuban said, the only person or the only people who get longer contracts than his players are his doctors. If you can keep your players healthy, if you can have more men-women games from your starters, you're going to win more games. Winning translates to dollars. Yeah. It's still all about the business of sport, Absolutely. not just performance. No, and performance, as you mentioned, that like if you can play longer, your contract is long, is is bigger per year or extended over time and so absolutely it's about the dollars and cents I think um and you know that's not surprising I think athletes understand that on the professional side you look on the Olympic side it's might be about winning a gold medal but ultimately you know sponsorships flow in and there's other ways that those athletes uh put food on the table um but you're right I mean there's a how do I make myself better how do i create the best version of myself and tech is absolutely one window into doing that when did you start thinking about life after athletics and the life that athletics and your notoriety and success could provide because nowadays whether it's steph curry lebron james nobody's waiting till when they're done i mean if if you're waiting until you're retired it's almost too late yeah your platform's gone people unfortunately don't listen to you as much (laughs) you know so and and the thing that i love again we're talking about tech here is uh, I was one of the early adopters of Twitter, right? I'm on Twitter, one of the first people, athletes, talking my handle, brand. Handle, What's the handle? Twitter handle. At Angela Ruggiero, R-U-G-G-I-E-R-O, because, you know, Italian, hard to spell. Um, and 
and I realized I could go direct to consumer. I could talk to my fans directly. I didn't have to go through a brand. I didn't have to go through USA Hockey. I didn't have to go through anyone. I could like engage with my fans in a direct way. And you're seeing every athlete understand that now saying, okay, I have to build a platform and I can do anything with that platform. Now I can talk about the charities that I care about or the nonprofits. I could promote the brands that either I endorse or the brands I'm building today for myself, the, you know, building entities, building businesses. We see that with a lot of professional athletes. So, so technology obviously impacts athletes now on the field so they can get longer contracts but this almost bigger opportunity for for some athletes is like building their own brand by leveraging this sort of direct to consumer um um platforms these social media platforms that exist anybody feel like we're talking to paul rabel (laughs) (laughs) he's actually one of our uh advisors Uh, uh, sports innovation paul's a friend of the show he's he's been on the show I, I have to bring this up because it's, and I've said this before. I've said it once on the show earlier. I got chastised many years ago when Twitter was first coming out. It's like, well, so and so said on Twitter, and and emphatically, the editor said, "We never ever quote Twitter." And I'm thinking to myself, "No, you're missing it because now the athlete can directly talk to the fans." And directly their quote doesn't have to and be on team letterhead them. anymore. Yeah, they don't have to go through through us anymore. Which is the a, media. It's yeah. a very different play. I mean, you don't have to go through your coach and get permission to, or you have to wait for your your sponsor to have a platform for you to talk. It's it's you, and that authenticity is a really big piece of, I think, the next generation of fans. They're going, all right. I want to see how great of an athlete on the field, on the court, on the ice you can be, but I also want to know who you are. And again, the, the, the traditional mediums are absolutely a great way to do that. But but athletes now understand, like, I need to be engaged. I need to be authentic. And, and I'm going to bring more notoriety, not just to me, but the sport that I play. We joke and looking back, but the first glimpse at this was MTV Cribs. Hmm. You realize that people wanted to see behind the curtain. Hmm. Enough of the on, but the on the field, the on the ice, like you said. But they wanted to get to know, let me see your cars. Let me see where you live. That's what it's all about closer more intimate these days and that's true in the arena as well as off yeah Yeah, i mean we we've uh sports innovation lab we came up with a whole body of research now around that future fan and what that future fan wants is that intimacy they want to be able to pick a team follow a player use you know technology essentially all these new platforms and mediums to um you don't even have to go to a game anymore you could be fan of a manchester united player um and have this different relationship because the the teams and the athletes themselves understand what you just said. Give them more exposure. Give them more access. Let me ask you this. As an athlete, there's the in-arena experience, and then there's this tech-driven sit-on-the-couch, no ingress-egress problems, have my bathroom, maybe (laughs) I don't really need to be there. And full well knowing that most people don't live within the area of a professional arena. And the world is flat. So you want to win fans in Europe and China and Asia. I yep. get it. I, I get it. But what about that in arena experience? You still want, you don't want to play before a crowd of 500. Is there enough differentiation in sport these days to get me to plunk down the kind of dollars I need to sit in section 122? Go to a Vegas Knights game and that'll answer your question. Yeah. But that, they, they got a lot of praise, but it's been the Vegas Knights. It's the Carolina Hurricanes with their post game jerks. Celebrations. <laughs> All right, Don Cherry, go ahead, man. We did that earlier. So. Um, but do you see enough differentiation in the arena? Absolutely. I think, um, look, I think sports traditionally had a monopoly. 
they could sit and coast. Uh, if if you're uh, we're here in New York, you're a Yankees fan. You're gonna go to a Yankees game. You're gonna pass those tickets down to your kids, um, and you don't really change allegiances very easily. Now I look at sports has real competition, Fortnite, Netflix, other entertainment options, right? So that's the stay at home, pay nine ninety nine and binge all weekend, or or your your teenagers got a set of headphones on and they're talking to one another playing video games now and it's community it's a community so sports has to understand these other forces in order to get past that like i'm going to get off the couch or i'm going to actually tune in to watch and consume sports instead of these other entertainment options and i do think believe me athletes want packed house they want that energy and that's what fans want so getting off your couch and and if if the, the ecosystem can create this hassle-free way to get to and from games, have a seamless experience when you're actually in that venue, so you you can download your ticket, you can get through security with with ease, you can you know mobile order food to your seat, like make it engaging, give oh, them forget bedding. about mobile order. I got Vivek Ranadivi. He's got <laughs> he he's got robots, drone parking aided. He's he's got predictive analytics because I went to let's say I've gone to three games and every time I show up with my son. I get he gets the hot dog with the coke. You'll know because of beacons. Up, oh, Angela and whoever just showed up at the game. Bring the coke. Bring the hot dog. That's personalization. That's yes. great. So if you're you're willing to get off your butt, go to the you know go to the rank, get this personalized service, and you have that electricity of like being around other people, which is a big piece of sports. It's that energy that you feel in that building. Do they teach us at HBS? I don't know. I I saw it from the ice. My <laughs> my game was when when I was in an empty stadium. Like believe me, like the energy level is less for the athletes. Sure. When the when the stadium is packed, like a, a Knights game, I mean, you just you just feel it, and the, and therefore your you, your game elevates in 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 you know a meaningful way. The the NHL is clearly kind of wrestling with a lot of these questions out out in Vegas earlier this year. They kind of debuted. What was billed as kind of the future of NHL fandom, a lot of tech in there from AI, VR, all the way through, you know, digital highlight packages, chips in the player uniforms. I believe you were out there mm-hmm. uh, around CES. What was your thought on kind of how, how the NHL is approaching, you know, using tech to kind of change the fan engagement piece? I think it's great. I think all the leagues have to consider it. Um, there's some fans, and I, I like to reference the Olympics, that more women watch the Olympics than men. In the U.S., NBC's done a phenomenal job of storytelling. Well, you it's can tell where the commercials are aimed. Absolutely, but that's a demographic that maybe historically said, "Oh, they're not into sports." They're into sports. Does anybody believe just, that anymore? That the women are not into sports. Well, is that, does, historically, is that... and the way that you share and and take that content forward is told differently than what you're talking about on the NHL mm-hmm. side and the NFL and the NBA. Where technology might actually and and betting and the data might actually drive a different fan. Maybe more male demographic cares about like the the nuances of the scoring and the the movement. So I think it's at the end of the day, it's content. Sports is entertainment, and like how you tell it, you can tell it in very different ways and reach very different demographics. But technology, I think. Like, I want to know how fast I used to skate relative to current players. I'd love to know. Used to skate. Right? <laughs> Not today. <laughs> but you're, um, you're exactly right about it, more women watching the Olympics. And I, and I found that out many years ago when my mom was watching Oscar de la Hoya. Uh, and I told this story before. And, and he's fighting. And all of a sudden, it, she screams out. It's like, oh, baby, look out. And my father and I, we looked at each other and it's like, 
oh my God, my mom is into this. It's like, <laughs> and that's when I realized you're right. Women, more women are into the Olympics. Totally. And, and, and what I love, again, we're talking tech because that's what I nerd out of over every day now. There's this like long tail effect, I think, in sports now, right? Previously, back to the monopoly analogy, you've got four sports, you, you, you're paying for it on you know broadcast, your cable subscription, and that's all the only game in town. Now you can find interesting content on different platforms. Maybe you can subscribe to an over-the-top platform like DAZN, and now you're getting content in a new way at a very reduced rate, and more sports, more genders, more geographies are available. So you have the moms of the world that you're like, I didn't know you liked boxing. Suddenly, they like boxing because they have exposure to it. And and that's kind of what I'm excited in my post-Olympic days of of playing. We're chatting with Angela Ruggiero, and I'm sitting here opening my phone up to Clippers Court Vision, Steve Ballmer's vision of the future. Very real possibility that he could say, you know what, Fox Sports, don't need you. Like you said, OTT, we could have entire leagues moving to OTT on this. I get to pick my camera angle. I can follow any particular player I want. I can have a mascot camera. I can have a coach camera. I can be in the huddle. You better give fans what they want, when they want, how they want it, or else they're going to shut you off these days. 100%. And what's Steve's background? He comes from tech. He knows it. He knows that back. You know, if fans are saying, I want that personalization, and again, they can build it. I think sports is a min- is a, is simply now not like when you own a sports team, you don't own a sports team. You own a media enterprise, and that I think is what Steve Ballmer is doing. He's going, huh? We got to win games. Certainly, like that drives viewership. Everyone knows you got to win, but you can't win every year. So how do we continue to drive engagement? It's leveraging and building technology platforms like that. But owners that I've talked to have said you can't guarantee success. You can say we'll try. But what you can guarantee is experience. Experience. And this counts. This is part of experience. And engagement. And again, fans are very fluid now. They're going to move in and out. They're, they're, they can change teams. Hey, I like LeBron. I don't care where he goes. I'm going to follow him. I could care less about the team. Like, So teams and leagues, I think, are understanding that fans will jump ship very easily now. And, and we have to stay on top of that. I think the younger kids are like that. My, my son was a huge Blackhawks fan until they weren't winning anymore. <laughs> now he's looking for a new team. Now, <laughs> Maple Leafs look pretty good to him. Yeah, we've spent I mean, we spent a lot of this conversation talking about the the parts of the sports tech world that are you know revolutionizing the way athletes train and perform, the way that you know sports teams interact with their fans. There's kind of another kind of side of this that I think it may be my darker hours. I think about a lot that like kind of worries me about the proliferation of data and a lot of clashing that I see happening in the near future. Right, as as we're able to gamble on whether Max Pacioretty skates. 2.2 miles under or less during a game. Um, and there's a lot of money flowing into that. Or, you know, as teams look at, you know, LeBron James's heart rate and and they defer that, you know, maybe he's declining faster than we thought he would and we don't want to pay him as much. It just seems like there's a lot of ownership concerns and also uh, from the gambling perspective, just like integrity concerns that are kind of going to pop up as a result of us knowing so much more about our athletes and what's happening on the field. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, we launched a athlete data leadership mm-hmm. board uh, around this and brought some really smart people around the table in this industry to discuss just this: this, who owns the data, where should it go, and there is a hundred percent need on the performance side. I think we talked about that before. Like athletes, teams, leagues, everyone wants more data to help their athletes stay in the game longer and and be healthy. However, what you're talking about is this fan engagement side mm-hmm. of the coin, where I think 
the cat's out of the box. Is, is that the expression? It's a bag. Bag. Some, okay. Cat's out of the bag. I know that was wrong. Bag box. Cats out of the bag. You can transport a cat in a bag or a box. The cat's running around. It's out. But fans are going, wait a second. In Europe, this is like everyone bets. Not a big deal over in Europe. They come to the owner's suite before the game. Yeah, I mean, I spent... You know, like I said, I was on the IC for years. I was in Europe all the time. And, like, suddenly in the U.S., this is such a massive new new deal to us. But it's common sense. Oh, five, throw five quid, five pounds, whatever. We're going we're gonna to bet on a game, and it's a prop bet, to your point. Mm. So I think we just have to figure out now and understand as an industry, like, there is this massive monetization opportunity. And how do we work with the teams and the players, the athletes themselves, to understand this upside? Because if if the stuff's going to be measured and it's going to be shared, especially on the sports betting, definitely on the broadcast side, and and um, the athlete, I believe, will buy into it. But they have to understand that those privacy concerns and and get tr- tr- gain the trust of their teams and their leagues. Good this luck. data isn't going to be shared. But also try to, you know, if I can make a few extra bucks by saying you can look at my heart rate, maybe in aggregate. Hmm. Absolutely, put my put my heart rate into that, you know, anonymized data set that could be interesting to look at. So, all these conversations are happening right now, and I think it's exciting for both sides as long as you think about, you know, the pie getting bigger for everyone. In the next couple of years, we're going to have uh, labor negotiations in baseball, possibly in basketball. Football's coming up in in that near future as well. Um, is this going to how, how how hot a topic do you think this is going to be as unions and leagues sit down and try to hammer out you know the next ten years of what their what their business relationship looks like? That's the problem. You can't look ten years out anymore. It's yeah, impossible. this is. I think the, this date is a perfect Lots example of, of the kind of thing that Every your last two or three you're ten years ago a labor accord couldn't have even imagined that right. there might be this kind of push and pull between owners and players on you know whether you sh- the team should be able to look at your sleep data, right? Um, how do you how do you kind of see that playing? I know you talk to unions a lot; they're part of your your advisory board. Uh, how big a deal do you think that will be in negotiations? Yeah, I think it it'll be a big deal, um, and that's why everyone's trying to figure it out. Um, to your point. You can't predict the future, um, but again, technology. We've seen we have over five thousand companies in our software right now that do something around sports and tech. And <laughs> and the reason I bring that up is tech is a means to data, whether that's on the fan side in the venue or on the athlete side. And this data, I think I read a stat: ninety percent of the world's data was has been created in the last two years. So <laughs> it's only going to get worse. Um, but I always see back to there's an opportunity here um, there's a massive miss if we don't understand the data it's, it's incorrect data we we partner with the wrong companies it's inaccurate but there i think there's a huge opportunity again to on this monetization side and if in you know you mentioned paul rabel before he's partnering with his players to say look if you sh- if you're on social media if you're out there promoting my league like you actually own shares in the league allowing them to use the intellectual property of the league in their own platforms correct which, which the leagues today don't allow yeah so again he's a he's a startup he has more flexibility than than what the leagues are up to but you 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 brought up you know collective bargaining this we have to understand what that opportunity is uh, across the board and and i think then have the right conversation and, and it comes down to trust um, but there's absolutely an opportunity for both the players and the leagues to benefit and I think it's just figuring out how to how to position that. How much money are we talking? I mean, I, you, you, you part of your what you guys do, right? Is is 
putting a price tag on some of these things. Or is this is a multi-billion-dollar industry? How, how, what's the easiest? Way oh, to absolutely, right in the billions. Yeah, I mean, look, in the short term, you've got you know, it's in the millions in terms of of the the revenue, the direct revenue that you're seeing from the MGMs of the world, and you know these these gambling prospectors that are partnering. But until they figure it out, um, but I think it's it's a very lucrative opportunity. Angela Ruggiero is an investor in which companies? Uh, well, my uh, <laughs> I'm not investing publicly now because I'm a uh, because of the Sports Innovation Lab. Okay. We're an objective market research company. I thought that might prohibit. Okay. Yeah, so I I I've had to unfortunately abstain from. Uh, from joining boards and investing to keep that um, credibility, I think, in the market. Okay. I thought that might be the case. <laughs> I mean, we're trying to build the, the Gartner of, you know, sports, uh, really help the industry understand sports technology trends and companies. And, and I have to keep that objectivity as part of who I am and the brand. And, and so I see amazing stuff all the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. I wish I could get in on that. But uh, but it's it's sort of a, you know, a, a piece of as we build our uh Credibility in the market important for us to to abstain from any 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 form or, or perception of conflict. Well, before you wrap, can I ask one more? <laughs> I, I, I want to get because you have affiliation with the IOC. Do you ever worry about reputational risk being associated with the IOC? For me, it's almost Oof. like being associated with FIFA. Like I don't think anybody's surprised. Oh, scandal here, scandal yeah. there. Ethics like, committee member. Uh, well, yeah, I'm on digital technology and ethics. <laughs> <laughs> well, very different. You know, I, I could make a, I could make a very easy joke of wait, there's ethics, uh, but I, I mean, I would really be worried. You don't know what's going on with these guys and women around the world and FIFA. How, how does or well, how, it's, a, it's an interesting point because you know when when FIFA does something, it affects the Olympic space. Uh, when mm. any of the federations do something, most the average person doesn't know one or the other. They're sort of all blended together um and but i will say that in this in today's environment obviously the ioc is trying to seriously consider how do we make sure that we understand our members better and can and 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 can uh create more structure for them um but also as we talk about like white elephants and you know bids that go over budget or ocogs that go over budget like that is reputation there's over budget and there's sochi well, again, I, I'll separate the 10, million, 10, billion, 10 billion and 50 billion. The 50 billion, Putin can do whatever he wants to build roads, and we have to do a better job, I think, of communicating the budget, the, the differences in, a, in an OCOG budget versus an infrastructure budget, which is really what that $50 billion, you know. I mean, look, in, in, I was the chief strategy officer for the LA Olympic bid, and we've got like $80 billion already earmarked for public upgrades, which we know... Like eighty billion. The freeways of of you know California need so the the without without. <laughs> can we get a tunnel in New York as a New Jersey Transit, or can you just throw some of it over well, here? Well, that the, the, those that money was earmarked regardless of the bid, but it's it's public infrastructure like this that um, again the IOC I think has to do a better job of separating and explaining because uh, when we're over budget on that, it shouldn't affect the IOC's brand. When the OCOG budget is over, it certainly is something we have to, to consider. Angelo Zero with the Sports Innovation Lab. And you know what? We didn't mention this, and I know we got to wrap, but you are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. 
Correct. That's that's, mm. that's a big fourth woman. Daggone <laughs> deal. Can I have one complaint about the Hockey Hall of Fame? <laughs> oh come on, of give me some love here. I'm complaining. I'm bringing back to my little guy, six-year-old Jackson. I take him to the Hockey Hall of Fame. They have the interactive exhibit where they have the big screens and the players are coming down at you and the and the pucks shoot out of the holes in the screen. Let's just say it caught little Jackson in a in a tough spot. Scored, scored a few goals but, on him. <laughs> well, I, no, he's, he's, I'll say he stopped the puck, but let's just say he probably wished he didn't stop the puck. Mm. But mm. Little, little Jackson didn't like that exhibit at the Hockey Hall of Fame. You guys go <laughs> go check it out. It's fun. Oh. Yeah, there's uh, six women in it now, so I'm really proud of that, actually, because they, they cool. opened their doors a few years ago to women and, and made way for, obviously, a lot more international players as well, so it's been fun to be a part of that. With the Sports Innovation Lab, Angela Ruggiero. Thank you so much for stopping by and My talking pleasure. with us. Thank you. Takeaways. One thing about Angela, and she mentioned this, we talked about Twitter, how powerful Twitter is, how Twitter for an athlete or for anybody for that matter, you don't have to go through us anymore. The media, you can get your message out from the athlete to the fan. As the father of a hockey-playing nine-year-old, all I took away because we have some teams still where the girls skate with the boys, and some of them are darn good skaters. You know, Some of the boys are like, wait, there's a girl on that team. I'm like, yeah, wait until she's skating circles around you. <laughs> I just love when she was talking about not only keeping up with the boys, but doing better than the boys. And they caught the eye of the coaches on more than one occasion saying, wait, whoa, 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 she's pretty good. That, I, I love that. Absolutely. And my takeaway, something that we're going to keep talking about on the show because it fascinates me, uh, as we talk about data more and more, there, there really is an increasing war heading you know, between, between athletes, between owners, between teams. Ownership of this data as it becomes more important for athletes to pr- promote their own brand, more important for teams to get the most out of athletes, more important for teams and leagues to engage with their fans. All of this is going to create some really thorny ownership questions, and I'm glad that you know there are people like Angela out there that in 2019, before we get to that point, are starting to have those conversations. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers are good time when i first started wearing that number i was just happy and proud bloomberg business of sports the number of the week time now for the number of the week now i will give the number and uh, i'm going to give a, a little sad note to it so this should help oh, somber Uh-oh. number yes, it is a somber number it's 36 and it's dedicated to a major league baseball player who has passed on okay who, who passed away willie mccovey no but that's I should mention him also. But there, but there's another person. Uh, he he's been around for many years. Um, Don Newcomb. Oh yes, of course. That was no, the number. Yes, no, that was okay. his. That was his jersey number when he was with the Brooklyn Dodgers last week. Yes. Yeah. One and, of the one of the last ties from the, from the Dodgers to right. the Brooklyn team. Yeah. Right. And a great pitcher. Uh, so this I'm being serious about. Uh, Godspeed to Don Newcomb. A uh, uh, great in the game. Ditto. Don Newcomb's last professional team, by the way, the Chunichi Dragons, 1962 Trivia in night. Japan. Oh, I did not know that. 
And I know it's a somber note, but I just wanted to pay tribute to Don Newcomb. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. And thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. And next week, I'm going to go on a, on a limb here and say, for us, not to say he's not bright, but he's Indomitian Sue. I'm going to say he's the biggest guest we've had. Biggest, for sure. He played for Detroit. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Bloomberg.